Father, in, in this place, um, we just we thank you this morning. We thank you for six and a half years. We thank you for uh, what we've just read from Pastor Gary. We thank you for faithfulness. We thank you for hope. And we thank you that you are good. And so would you minister to our hearts as well as we uh, release them to you this morning. As we turn to your word this morning, we need help from you. Help comes from the Lord. And so we, we turn to you in 2 Corinthians here, chapter 11, and ask, ask for help. Um, thank you that uh, this morning is one of just 52 Sundays this year where we will uh, come together first day of the week to emphasize as the Sabbath, to emphasize as the Lord's Day day Jesus rose from the dead, we meet in his name. Our songs have been about you. Our eyes are fixed on you. Our minds are, are coming to your word now, and we need your spirit to illuminate so that we can understand what this text is teaching us today. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are going to continue a study of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're in the second half of chapter 11 today. Uh, so we're going to jump right into the text itself, and uh, so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 16 and read down to the end, okay? So here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. I repeat, Paul says, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. You bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. And hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from... Other things, there's the daily pressure on on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he he is blessed, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. 
And so if you, you read that, you say, well, this is going to be an interesting message this morning, a laundry list of trouble and trial. This is going to feel really great, right? Uh, but what Paul is really doing is he's, he's, he's putting the nail in the coffin in terms of pointing out the difference between him and these false apostles that he's been dealing with. Everywhere these false apostles have been saying, we're just like Paul, accept us. We're the same. We are in the same category as they are, and so we deserve to be heard, and we deserve to be listened to. Uh, We're exactly like they are. And Paul, in this, this, the end of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's trying to say, hey guys, they're nothing like us. Not at all like us. And he's pointing out the differences, okay? So the false prophets, you should be reminded, they have been uh, really underscoring uh, all of the things that should make them acceptable to the church at Corinth. And so all the reasons why they have a, a, a listening, uh, a hearing of them. And so uh, let me just jot those down for you, and you can kind of leave them in your, in your mind as you think through what Paul's dealing with today. They have said in 2 Corinthians from chapter 1, verse, verse 1 through chapter 10, they said, hey, look, we're the same as Paul. And if you need a reference for that, that's chapter 11, verse 12. We work on the same terms. Accept us. We're just like him. Uh, they're saying, hey, here's some reasons why you should accept us. We have plenty of money. You can see that God's, God's blessing on us and that he is uh, blessing our ministry with money. We have plenty of resources. And in fact, they're, they're getting those resources from the Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul says, in fact, they're peddling God's word. They're selling it. It's, it's a shame. But the false teachers are, are well-funded. They're saying, hey, we're wise. And Paul says in chapter 1, verse 12, they have a worldly wisdom. And so they are, they are kind of putting it out there. They're commending themselves. Look at how wise we are. Look at the way we're doing things. They have even brought letters of commendation. And if you remember back in chapter 3, their whole message was on how they were trying to approve themselves, but they weren't worried about having any approval from God any approval at all from God as they approve themselves. They're saying, hey, we look good. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul's saying, man, they, they are totally focused on the outward appearance. And then last week we learned that they are slick and skilled in, in their speaking, and they ripped on Paul because Paul didn't have the same kind of rhetoric that they did. Uh, he wasn't able to hold a candle to him. Paul has knowledge, but he doesn't have a smooth and slick delivery style. And so think about this. These false teachers have said, we have plenty of money, we look good, we wear the right clothes, we've been educated in the right schools, we have the ability to communicate, uh, so you should accept us as even better than Paul. And so they were emphasizing all these things that are measurable, they're external. And Paul is here saying, okay, all right, but does God care about any of those things? Are those the things that that God's focused on? And here, Paul is pointing out, basically, as the false teachers say, same, and as the church was tempted to believe, yeah, same, that's good, Paul is pointing out here, different. They are completely different from us, and he's pointing out all of these ways that they are different from, from Paul. Okay, so first things first, we're going we're gonna to kind of set this up and we'll, we'll walk through together to, to see how these false teachers uh, could be um, among us even today. Can I just remind you again, we said this last week, I'm going to say it again. Jesus said this was going to happen in the last days. 
We will have false teachers gaining traction in the church as the return of Jesus approaches. Some things that will be true about these false teachers, they will be accepted in the church by some, according to Matthew chapter 24. They will play the part. They, will be, they, they themselves will believe that they are genuine. They themselves will say, I am uh, of Jesus, I am for Jesus. They will, they will come into the church and, and they'll be speaking of these, all these externals. Doesn't this represent approval from God? Look at, all, look at my life. And they will lead some astray. So it's really important that we see that, that, this, is a, that just, this just isn't a statement for like 2,000 years ago for Corinth. This could never happen today, right? Not at all. We need to be on the alert today. And can I just make a point of application? The books you read, you should be on the alert today for who you read and what you read. Just because they say true things, some true things about Jesus, that doesn't make them true servants of the Lord. Just because they're sincere, that doesn't make them true servants of the Lord. Just because your friend who is also a believer accepts them, doesn't make them true servants of the Lord. Just because they have a slick website and an awesome blog and a great social media presence and they say nice things, that doesn't make them servants of the Lord. Right? So we need to be on the alert and understand that in the last days, false teachers who are saying things about Jesus and who themselves say they are genuine are going to come and begin to have an influence in the church. And we looked at last week that if we're not on the alert, that influence is going to start to lead us astray from a sincere devotion to Jesus. Right? Okay, so with all that said, we move into the second half of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 today. First thing I want us to see is we await a commendation from the Lord. You're waiting for not a commendation that comes in this world. As we await a commendation that will come from the Lord, first thing I want us to see here is that we need to put all of our confidence in the Lord. Put all your confidence in the Lord. Look back at chapter 10, verse 17. Let the one who boasts... Boast in the Lord. For it is, it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Boasting can be defined like this, to express an excessive amount of confidence in someone or something as being exceptionally noteworthy. And for our purposes today, we're saying boasting is to express an excessive amount of confidence in the Lord. Okay, so an excessive amount of confidence. That's the first little kind of thing I want us to see, that we're not going to boast in the Lord if we don't have an excessive amount of confidence in him, do you? No matter what your eyes see, no matter what you go through, a confidence that the Lord is at work and is doing good, profound things. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. In fact, um, this little part of chapter 10, it's a direct um, quote from Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. You, you may have wisdom. You may have a really skillful way of living your life. Don't, don't boast about that. Don't, don't tell everybody about how wise you are. Don't put that into words. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. You're strong. Strong today. 
Strength comes and goes. Life is a vapor. And we don't boast in our days and our strength. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Uh, Let not the rich man boast of his riches. You have plenty of money. You have uh, plenty of money in the bank. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And the Bible says so clearly we came into this world with nothing. And can I tell you, no matter how much you have in the bank, you're leaving this world with nothing. Nothing. And so Jeremiah is saying, don't don't boast on these things. Don't place a confidence and then verbalize that that's what you trust. Not your wisdom, not your strength, not your money. Verse 24 of Jeremiah 9, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things declares the Lord. That's where your boast is. Oh, uh, you're, you're in a pit today? You're, you have trouble today? You've got problems today? Uh, Jeremiah would say this, you have plenty of wisdom today? This, this is good things. You've got plenty of wisdom today and plenty of strength today and plenty of money today? Boast in the Lord. Imagine if that's the case and that's what would be happening in, in the world today and we would go around talking to one another and we have all of these positive things and all of these things stored up, but our conversation was, was this. Yeah, you know, I, I've been living my, my life rather well. You know, you, you, you might say that. I wouldn't. Life has been good. I've got plenty of strength for today. But what I put my hope in, here, here's, here's what we put our hope in. I know the Lord. That's everything. The, the Lord is strong. We have this internal confidence. You know what? Sometimes we shy away from confidence in the Lord because we think our friends are going to ask us hard questions. And their doubts, we're going to seem like idiots if we just answer their questions about, about God. And they come to us with these hard questions. Where is God when this happens? Where is God when that happens? Is God good when that, when, to these people? What about this situation? And they come to us with all of these unique situations, and I think sometimes we're afraid we aren't going to have the answer. And so we're not confident in the Lord. Don't let the doubters steal your confidence. You won't be able to answer every question about God. You won't. Can I just tell you, he's infinite. You're never going to be able to answer all the questions. You, you won't be able to figure out what God's doing, even in your situation, much of the time. You won't. You don't know the beginning and the end. You won't know why you were serving the Lord and things seemed to be going well and and you're headed a direction and, and the wheels fell off the cart. You won't be able to figure that out. Don't let that steal your confidence in the Lord. Can I just remind you? This is a God who created everything by the power of his word in six days. This is a God who who brings life to be. He sets Adam and Eve in the garden, in paradise, and takes care of them. This is a God who, when we made ourselves rebels, he made to us promises. When we became uh, those who would move away from him, he found a way to rectify us and, and reconcile us to him. We serve a faithful God And we have this confidence in him, friends. Uh, This is a God who is gracious and keeps his promises. This is a God who sends his son. And we maintain this confidence even when, again, the wheels seem to be off the cart. And so everyone around us doubts. 
and says, well, who is God? Where is God? When will God show up? And by the way, that was handled in chapter 11, verse 3. The serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. And Eve's thoughts were, does God's word really say this? Is God really enough? We maintain a confidence in the Lord when life takes a term that we cannot explain and do not like. Guys, in, in Sheboygan County this week, there's, there's trouble we can't, we can't explain. You can't explain why cancer. I can't explain that. I don't know why certain people have certain amounts of, of days and other people have more days in their life. I can't explain why one child struggles with a certain disorder or difficulty and and another doesn't. We can't explain things like that. And when life takes these turns and and, and we begin to think, well, maybe God's distant. Maybe God's not able. Maybe God's love is, is something we've conjured up. Guys, maintain a confidence in the Lord. Maybe your your life's been characterized by a broken relationship, by bad news, by no money. Maybe it's the bigger picture stuff and it's the wars going on in this world and the rumors of wars. Maybe it's the the very great tragedy yesterday in Pittsburgh that you heard about. Maybe it's dreams that simply are not coming to be. Guys, One of the great differences between the the true and the genuine follower of Christ and the false prophets is going to be this, that, that the true follower of Christ understands that God is faithful in the midst of suffering. God is able in the midst of your pit. God is good when your life is hurting so bad and you don't know what he's doing. And I say one last thing about confidence Notice here in, again, chapter 10 and verse 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know that the word Lord means he's commander. He calls the shots. And can I tell you, Paul, he's going to tell us next week as we look at this, uh, sometimes God gives us things and we go to him with requests and God says no to those requests. The Lord sometimes says no. So here's my question. Is your confidence remain high in the Lord when he tells you no? Sometimes the Lord says no. And so a a confidence in the Lord, this is this internal place in your heart where you say, no matter what my eyes see, I believe God. But that's not not enough when when we talk about boldness, when we talk about boasting. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And we said the definition for boasting was to express an excessive amount of confidence in God. And so you may have that, that excessive amount of confidence. Here's the question. Do you express it? Do you say it? Because that's the other side of boasting. We put it into words. The false prophets, Paul is saying, they're totally different. They're, they're expressing confidence in money and appearance and, and their slick methods. And, uh, and Paul is saying, I am wanting you to express an undue or an unbelievable amount of confidence in God. And so you say it. So here's the question. What do you talk about when, again, the wheels are off the cart? How you talk and who you talk about in your most difficult current affliction reveals what you trust. What have you been talking about this week in the midst of your pain? How you're going to fix it? Where is God when? 
What is he doing? Why is he doing it? You know, you know what comes to mind for me? It's Job. And Job had this life that, that seemed to be, you know, approved of God. He had everything. And God goes to Satan and says, have you tried? Take a look at, take a look at Job. Why don't you try him? Why don't you put him on trial a little bit? And you guys remember the story. He lost all of his money. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his children. Bad news about his children came. And in the same day, he lost 10 children to death. His wife comes to him. And, and can I just remind you what Job says? So his wife comes to him and says, what are you, you going to say here? In Job's words, in the midst of the pit, are amazing to me in Job chapter 1 and verse 21. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's almost like he's trained himself what he's going to say in his day of trial and trouble. In Hebrew, uh, repetition is, is emphasis. The Lord gave, the Lord took, the Lord is blessed forever. And so what was in Job's heart was not only a confidence in the Lord, but a willingness to say it to the people around him. And his wife said, you know, why don't you just, why don't you curse God and die? His wife was not helpful in this situation, was she? Why don't you renounce all faith in God and commit suicide, was her question, bluntly stated. Life is that bad here while you sit in the pit. Job, Job says, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not evil? Now, he needed some time to process this while he was in the pit, but uh, my favorite part of that story was that he does process it, and he has friends coming to him, giving him bad advice. But when we get to Job chapter 19, my favorite thing of all, what Job says is in Job 19, and no, it's not uh, my breath is bad and my, my wife can't stand it, although that is in Job 19. If you would like to go check that out later, that would be great. But what he says in Job chapter 19 is, is these words. As bad as it's been here in the pit, as hard as it's been, here's something I know. The children are gone. The money is gone. My health is gone. But I know my Redeemer lives. And I know that the future is not characterized by no friendships and no family and no money and brokenness. My future is characterized by this, these eyes. He emphasizes it three times in Job 19. These eyes, these eyes, these very eyes in that day are going to see my Redeemer stand. He is faithful. He is strong. And Paul is saying one of the great differences between the faithful and the unfaithful is this willingness to embrace suffering. We are going to suffer in this world. You remember what C.S. Lewis said about suffering? God whispers to us in our pleasure. God speaks to us in our conscience. But God screams to us. Uh, he uses the word, it's a better word, uh, God shouts to us in our pain. And so the pain that you are going through and the pain that true followers of Christ are going through is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. 
Why is it that we as followers of Christ, we look for the whisper and say, you know what? I, I don't want the megaphone. I don't want the... So many times we, we assume God must be up in heaven working for ease for me. God must be up in heaven working for comfort for me. And when I come across pain and sorrow and suffering, that must be God saying no and God not being faithful and God doing, doing some distance, distancing of himself from me. And that's not the, the case at all. My friend, boast in the Lord. Put all your confidence in the Lord. Number two, as we await a commendation from the Lord, boasting in your flesh is foolish. It's it's foolish to put stock in your flesh, to think, well, this, this is where my strength comes from. This is what it's about. And Paul makes that point in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Uh, verses 16 down through 21. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool. He's saying, uh, you accept my my opponents, how they, they brag and they boast about how they look and how smooth they are and how much money they have? You accept, okay, then accept me as one of them. Allow me the same tactics. I'm gonna boast a little bit here too. In fact, he says that very phrase at the end of 16, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Now, he's not saying there that this portion of Scripture is not uh, somehow not uh, inspired. Of course, all Scripture is God-breathed, right? He's saying, if the Lord himself were here, this isn't what he would do. He wouldn't brag. He wouldn't boast like I'm about to boast. But in an effort to uh, address the needs of the church, I'm gonna allow me to kind of get down and dirty with my opponents and, and allow me to boast like they are boasting, okay? Verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. Can I just remind you that that's the thrust of 2 Corinthians, the second half of verse chapter 10, and all of chapter 11. The thrust is not, these false teachers, what's their problem? The thrust is, within the real local church, why would you tolerate false teachers? Don't tolerate false teachers in the local church. The marks of the false teachers are obvious. It's all about the physical and the appearance. So in the local church, even as we now apply this to ourselves today, as the, the end times are nearer than they've ever been, I don't know that they're near, but they're nearer, we're in them, we're in them according to what Jesus uh, and the, the apostles teach us, we're in the end times, I don't know when the end will be here, but Jesus said, in that day, there's going to be these false teachers, and they're going to come in. Don't be surprised. And again, the the thrust of this whole passage, verse 19, you gladly bear with it. You you, you gladly bear with the fools. And by the way, the gladly bear there, that's actually a literal, like in a, you can't read it here, but this is all, there's a lot of irony in the way that he's talking to them. That word gladly, it's evident that he's saying, you welcome everybody. And, And you think that that, okay, so that's a good thing in the church. We should be a welcoming place. People should be drawn in, right? You gladly welcome. And he's saying you give them an opportunity to speak, you gladly put them on dis- on, in a place of prominence in the church and in a place of influence in the church. You gladly bear with fools. 
And then verse 19, the end, being wise yourself, you think you know better than God. How foolish it is to start measuring the externals and stop measuring what God measures. You say, well, what does God measure? Well, I'll just say we, we learned about that last week, so we're not going to go back to it. But verse 3, uh, excuse me, verse 2 says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a, uh, as a pure virgin to Christ, but I'm afraid that the, uh, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. Don't be led astray. Remain sincerely devoted to Jesus Christ. For you bear with it if someone makes slaves of you. Now, verse 20 is a description of what happens when the church tolerates false teachers who measure only the externals and are all focused on the externals. Here, these things really were happening in the church. So these false teachers came in, they make slaves of them. They get you to serve them and not Christ. They uh, devour you. You probably don't know, but that's a financial term. Okay, so the devourer is, they, they, they take all your money. They're, they're peddling the word of God. Paul's already made the point in chapter 9 and 10 that the Corinthians aren't supporting his legitimate ministry, but they, it's because a lot of their money is being given to these false teachers. They take advantage of you. And the concept of taking advantage means that they're, the, these false teachers are controlling their lives. They uh, put on airs, and that's meaning uh, a system of comparison where there's more spiritual and less spiritual. If you look back at chapter 10, and you just want to kind of take a note for later, uh, if you look at verse 12, look at verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those, and using those terms, Paul is saying that's what the false teachers are doing. They are classifying and comparing. They're saying some are more spiritual, some are less spiritual, and they're setting up this system of like hierarchy within the church. They put on airs, a system of comparison and and, uh, comparing and uh, categorizing. And then at the end of verse 20, someone strikes you in the face. Now, I think there's two things going on there. The concept of striking you in the face is this concept of the backhand to the side of the face, this ultimate sign of disrespect there's this, the, the leaders in the church were actually like authoritarian and they were demanding that the people kind of submit to them. But I also believe, again, based on the, the way it's worded, that uh, that actually happened at least one time in Corinth. There was literally a, an incident of physical abuse and they tolerated it and said, well, we, we have to accept this. This is just the way it is. And my friends, it's not the way it is. And so Paul is saying this, uh, boasting in the flesh like these false teachers, it's ridiculous. Uh, Here, do not boast in the flesh. Can I just remind you some things? God owns this world and everything in it. Don't boast in your flesh. You have a gift, it's from God and for God. You have strength, don't boast in your strength. Uh, I did a little search yesterday because I like to do this. I am on day 17,747 of my life. 17,747. Feeling pretty good. Uh, That's a lot of days. I don't know if that's the number written in God's book for me. Today could be it. I don't deserve tomorrow. 
I have friends that didn't make it to 17,747. I've done funerals of late for people with uh, days in the 32 and 33,000 number. They live to 92, 93 years old. Don't know if that'll be me. Don't know. Don't boast in your days. Don't boast in your strength. Don't boast in your wisdom. If, God, if you have it, it belongs to the Lord. And so don't hold on to anything from this world. We get so tempted. We get so enamored by the one who has stuff and has blessing and has money and has coolness and has strength. And we think that, well, that must be the, the very uh, stamp of approval. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. That is not the stamp of approval for the prophet. The, the, the stamp of approval is Christ-likeness. The stamp of approval is, is coming after the Lord. And so don't get enamored by these false prophets. Boasting in your flesh is foolish. And yet, here we go. Paul's about to do it. Paul's going to say, okay, all right. I've now won your ear. You're listening to me. And so thirdly and finally, as we await a commendation from the Lord, when you do speak about yourself, emphasize your weaknesses so that the strength of Christ can show and shine in glory. Okay? Emphasize your weaknesses. And that's what Paul does. Look at verse uh, 21, second half. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. So we get a kind of a cool look into these false teachers a little bit cool in that they're identified. These are Jewish people, come from Jerusalem, probably uh, former Pharisees who have now come in and they're like, well, we, we know the Old Testament really well. We have this authority. The word Hebrew there probably speaks of their, it does speak of their language and also the fact that they're like Jerusalem guys. They're from the heartbeat. They're from the city. Uh, and Paul says, look, I am too. Yeah, I'm Paul of Tarsus, but I was educated in in Jerusalem. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Verse 23. Uh, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. And now he uses some really strong language to say, I'm like, I'm out of my mind here to talk like this. His point is not so much that he's out of his mind to talk like that when he says, I'm a better servant. That was hard enough. But when he said, are they servants of Christ? And he gives it to them. My friend, it doesn't do a lot of good to argue with somebody who says they're here in the name of the Lord. You can, you can reject them in terms of their influence without trying to win an argument with them. And that's where a lot of us need to be. Don't read their books. Don't take it in. Right? Come to the place where you, you're, you're focused on Christ. And so here he's saying, oh, they call themselves servants of Christ and I'm giving it to them. Wow for the sake of argument. But look what he says here. Far greater labors, he's worked hard. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. So while he starts off by saying same, Hebrew, Jerusalem, Israelites, right? He's now saying different. Where he's saying his beatings and imprisonments are more. And let's stop for a second at verse 23. Think about this. Don't, don't, don't rush past this. When I read a book and I hear about near death, I often run past it. I want you to think about the fact that Paul was actually near death, bleeding out. 
for Christ. He put his life on the line. He put his life in danger to be able to speak to you. Two weeks from today, we will pray for publicly, and hopefully we're always doing it, but two weeks today is, from today is pray for the persecuted church. And there are people around the world whose life is in danger because they name the name of Jesus. Their, their property has been seized. Their rights have been taken. They're in jail today. We have people, and sometimes in this second service, we can't say the name of missionaries who serve certain places because their life would be in danger if we said their name and it went out on the, on the internet, right? And so uh, think about the danger that it, that it puts you in to serve Jesus in this world. Uh, verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I'm a far better one. I'm talking like a madman. Now verse 25, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He's saying um, the formal uh, 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 punishment for speaking the name of Christ, five times from the Jews I was beaten. Three times from the Romans I was beaten, that's the rods, and one time just a, a mob brought me out to the edge of the city and tried to give me mob justice. They, they threw stones at him until he stopped moving and they thought he was dead. They left him for dead because of Christ. Once I was stoned, he says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day was adrift at sea. So when Paul boasts. He boasts in his weaknesses, not his strengths. He's saying this, this is what we apostles, true servants of Christ, we signed up for this. We understand that this is what's going to set us apart from others. It's, it's not just enduring this stuff, but enduring this stuff with a boastful confidence in Christ that Christ is sufficient. Verse 25, he talked about specific danger that came because he named the name of Christ. Then verse 26, he says, well, here's a bunch of general dangers that come when you live the kind of life where you travel a lot. And he lived the, the kind of life where he traveled a lot. On frequent journeys, in danger of rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, verse 27. In toil and in hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst. Look, he's got no resources. He's hungry. He, he does not have money to pay for, for his next meal often without food, and cold and exposure. Verse 28. And apart from these other things, there's a daily pressure on me, the anxiety for all the churches, because that was his main thing. He was going around Asia Minor and planting churches and then trying to make certain that nobody came in and taught false doctrine in those churches, and that was his main thing. He wanted to see purity within the church, that they would be devoted to Christ. Who is weak, he says, and I am not weak. And who falls? And I'm not indignant. And so what he's saying there is when somebody falls away from believing the truth, he burns inside. And so he shares with them all of these things to, to point out to the, the Corinthians that it's, it's his weakness that separates him from these false teachers. It's his, it's his suffering that sets him apart. Paul understands that God is going to use weakness and he's going to use suffering in this world. He understands what C.S. Lewis, we've already talked about, understood that, that pain is a megaphone to a deaf world. 
to rouse them to understand who God is. Look at verse 30 and 33, because he's talked about these general problems, and he's talked about his suffering, but in verse 30 to 33, he goes the next step. And if I must boast, he says, I will boast of things that show my weakness. The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So here's the story. Remember, he was converted at Damascus. He left for three years to be educated. He came back to Damascus, and Paul was like, I am here to plant a church, to announce victory. Things are going to be awesome. And he found right away he was persecuted. The king set a trap to try to take him. And so what did he do? He went into his friend's house, and here the mighty Paul, the victorious Paul, is left let down in a fish basket so that he can scurry away like a refugee. And he's saying, apart from all these examples of places where I endured to the end, and I was in the pit, but I kept my eyes on Christ, and and I believed wholeheartedly that God was going to deliver me, there has been a time, there have been times in my life when I retreated. Has there been a time in your life when you retreated? There have been times in my life when I blew it. There have been times in my life when I am the picture of defeat, not the picture of victory. Christ is doing something even with that, if that's where you're at today. You say, look, you know, I get it, the the suffering, but, man, I'm not even in a place where I'm faithful to the Lord right now. I am so inconsistent in my life. And Paul does this amazing thing where he boasts in his weakness and says, I've been there too. I've blown it. I've retreated when I should have stood. I scurried away when I should have stood up for the things of the Lord. So he boasts in his weakness. Do you? You tell your kids what's really going on in your heart? Talk about the pain and the trouble. You talk about the moments when you've failed. Three principles and we are done. Principle number one. False teachers emphasize same. They're not the same. They're not the same. They measure the externals. That's not the same. Christ sees our hearts, and we we are called to be faithful to the Lord, okay? Uh, Number two, Christ taught us that we should expect to suffer. Can I just remind you? Christ suffered first. The way that God intended to overcome this world is to enter it in the person of Jesus Christ, to suffer on our behalf, and to overcome. He, He died so you don't have to die. So that in your pit, you can look and say with confidence, I am confident that my eyes will see the risen Savior. My Redeemer lives. Your broken relationship, you can look ahead. My Redeemer lives. Your lack of resources, you've got no money, you can look ahead and say, my Savior lives. My Redeemer lives. Your bad uh, diagnosis from the doctor this week, because Christ died and rose again. Cancer doesn't win. Christ said to his apostles before he left, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You should expect to to be in danger. He said, uh, They will deliver you over to courts to flog you, to beat you. He said that you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. He said that you will be 
hated by all for my name's sake. And so listen, expect to suffer. Even if we could make the argument that those words were designed to speak to the apostles, yet there is an application for all true Christ followers today that we will suffer for the name of Christ Jesus. Paul viewed his suffering as the divinely orchestrated means by which the knowledge of God is revealed to the world. Do you? The knowledge of God revealed to the world when you boast in the Lord from your pit. Not just Eeyore, oh boy, this is going to be hard. My life is difficult. I don't know why this is happening. Where's God in my pit? None of that. In your pit, you know for sure, your eyes will see the risen Redeemer. And finally, the commendation you live for. Uh, Don't let it come from your own lips. These false prophets said, look at me. Look what I'm able to do. Can I go back and we close with verse 17? Let no one, verse 18. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. Not the one who commends himself who is approved. The word approved there means judged to be genuine. It's not the one who's going around saying, look at me. I'm overcoming. I can do it. But the one whom the Lord commends. One day, my friends, we will see the Lord. And for those who know him and boasted in him from our pits, we will hear the commendation, not a self-commendation. We will hear the commendation of the Lord as he says, well done, good and faithful servants. And that's what we live for. Let's stand together and be dismissed in prayer. Lord, not the one who commends himself, but the one whom the Lord commends, help us. We give you this week, we give you our hearts, we pray your your blessing on Bennett and Holly as they go to continue to serve you. We praise you that, Lord, this life is short, we're going to be back with them together, but we'll, we'll be with them forever in heaven in a few days. In the meantime, may none of us avoid suffering or act as if suffering is somehow a statement that God doesn't care. It's faithful suffering is the means by which you are going to call people to yourself. And so while many of us live in a pit of various kinds today, we boast in the Lord. You are enough. You are sufficient. You are good. Our eyes we'll see our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.